What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to this week's episode of Outside the Arena. I'm Griffin Zedek, alongside Devin Bernstein, and it's Super Bowl week. It is a big game. Uh, you'll either be, I'm not 100% sure if this will come out on the day of the Super Bowl. I think I'll try to get it out today. So you're either watching this on a uh, day before the Super Bowl, day of the Super Bowl, uh, but very exciting. We got the Chiefs and Niners. They've been, you know, in Vegas all week. It's kind of been fun seeing the whole media scene as always, especially in Vegas. Um, there's been a lot going on just in general. Um, so there's that going on. We had the NBA trade deadline this week, pitchers and catchers starting to report. So, uh, a very exciting time in sports for sure. Um, UFC paper pay-per-view next week. So a lot, a lot to look forward to. Um, so we're obviously going to start with the Super Bowl though. Chiefs Niners, biggest game of the year. There's all the storylines in the world. Um, but you know, starting things off. Um, you know, we'll dive kind of deep into this one. You know, one thing that I think, you know, we're interested in coming off that Lions game where I believe the team allowed, the, the Niners allowed, I think it was 182 rushing yards to Lions. Um, pretty rough. And Isaiah Pacheco is running behind a pretty good Chiefs offensive line. Devin, you know, how do you think he's going to impact this game? Do you think he'll have a big game and, and ultimately, you know, because it seems like when he's on, it's it's really tough to stop this Chiefs offense. Yeah, I mean, um, the more I've gotten into this matchup, the more I've thought to myself that the Chiefs offense, passing-wise, is kind of going to be what it's going to be. I think Mahomes is going to, you know, find a lot of quick quick throws to Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. They'll take a deep shot or two to MVS. It'll be interesting to see if Tony, you know, gets a touch or two. I probably doubt it, but we never know what the Chiefs... <laughs> Um, and also he was a huge part in them winning the Super Bowl last year. So um, there's also a chance that he could, you know, make a play because he is he's a talented guy, but obviously has really struggled. But yeah, back to Pacheco, it just feels like this is going to be the big X factor for the Chiefs on offense. Um, like you said, the Niners rush defense gave up a ton of yards to a great Lions rushing attack. Um, but you know, it doesn't mean that they're just like a good run defense who just had a bad day. They also struggled against the Packers. It's been something they've struggled with throughout the year. Even when they pay, played against the Eagles, the Eagles had some success running the football against them, uh, if I remember correctly. And um, this Niners defense is is extremely talented, um, and they haven't quite performed overall to the level we probably would have expected them to in the playoffs, just given the amount of talent they have. Um and I think the main two things you look at are probably the coaching and the run defense and the coaching. Um, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure, like everything that they're doing differently as opposed to what they were doing to me with D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala. But I do know that those are two head coaches in the NFL, one of which almost one coach of the year. Um, and the other one is a, a very good defensive mind, in my opinion, um, even if he has some question marks as a head coach. But again, it's like, the defense doesn't seem as well coached and they've really, really struggled against the run. And I think the big reason for that is they don't really play a traditional nose tackle. Um, most of their, you know, interior defensive linemen are pass rushing types. Um, obviously, the main one that comes to mind is an Arik Armstead, who's really a unique build. He's like six, seven, 300 pounds, almost built more like an oversized edge rusher in a way. Um, and Although he is a very talented player, he gets after the passer, he's good in run defense. He, with his weird build, it's possible for him to kind of just get shoved off the line and moved really easily. And 
could say a similar thing about Javon Hargrave, former Eagle who had some great years there as a great pass rusher. Don't get me wrong. He's a guy who can make a big impact in this game, especially with a Joe Tooney out. Um, but he's also a guy. He has a bit of a weird build. He's shorter. He's like six foot even and about 310 pounds. Um, so he also can kind that's of get build. that's a build for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also can kind of get bowled off the ball a little bit. They also play Javon Kinlaw, first round pick, who's actually been pretty good in a contract year when healthy. Um, but he also struggles against the run more so with his like discipline and awareness of of certain situations. So I'm really concerned about this interior of the um, Niners defensive line. I just think Pacheco could have a huge game. Uh, despite Tooney being out, I still give the pretty heavy advantage to the Chiefs interior offensive line as opposed to the Niners interior defensive line. Um, and I just think Pacheco is a really good player. Like, obviously, he's kind of a meme for how he runs, but like he does run really hard and he's also really fast and powerful. Um combining that with like pretty good vision, awareness, instincts, moves, whatever else that a running back needs. He's a really good player. So I think that's going to be the first main X factor um, in this game that we want to talk about. But what what are your thoughts on this Chiefs running game against the, the Niners interior defensive line? Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge for them. Um, I got a little stat here for us. Um, so Kansas City, when Isaiah Pacheco runs for 50 or more yards, is 17 and 3. When he runs for less than 50 yards, they are six and five. Um, so, I mean, just from that alone, you can tell kind of how important he is. I don't think that includes playoffs, by the way. I think that was, uh, I pulled this from Stat News and it doesn't look like the playoff games from this year up there. But um, yeah, I, I think he is so huge to this offense. And I think the way San Francisco has looked so far in the playoffs, um, they've been susceptible, susceptible to the run. I mean, their defense as a whole, has been a huge issue. I mean, they, they've really gotten off to a lot of slow starts. They've kind of come together a little in the second half, but with games, but you know, if they come out that slow against Kansas city, like they're toast at the end of the day, like this, this Kansas city defense is by far the best defense they've played in the playoffs. They're not going to let them go for, you know, in that Lions game, they went for 27 points in the second half. Like that's just not going to happen. They'll be lucky to get 27 in the entire game. Um, so they got to start, you know, allow the big explosive plays and Pacheco is huge. I mean, you know, when he does well, it feels like this Kansas city offense really gets in a groove. Um, you know, first down is just so big for them, you know, setting up those second and short second and mediums with a guy like Mahomes who comfortable using his legs, you know, and, and that's kind of where a range where our Travis Kelsey thrives, um, just avoiding those third down and long. Um, that's a key. And Isaiah Pacheco is a key, key piece of a reason why they've been so successful in, you know, not getting in those situations, just running the ball early and, you know, establishing the clock, establishing the the run and, and controlling the clock, I think is the key for them. You know, keep the ball out of the Niners offense hands. Don't let them get in a groove and, uh, you know, just do your thing. And Pacheco is a huge part of that. You know, you covered the, you know, I think the Niners matchup, you know, wise pretty well. I don't think I really got anything more to say to that. Um, but, you know, the Niners are going to have to get creative and they're going to have to put pressure on Mahomes. Um, you know, the Joe Thune being out last time, I forget the guy, <clears throat> the name of the, the, the guard who stepped in his place, but he played pretty well. Um, but you know, try to take advantage of that switch Bosa in a little bit, get him moving and trying to get him on that le left guard. Um, you got to do some creative things, I think, to put pressure on Mahomes because if you don't rush the passer or, or stop the run, it's going to be a long day for San Francisco. 
Yeah, absolutely. Staying ahead of the chains will be a big key for the Chiefs. Um, like you said, like getting to a third and medium, third and short is so dangerous for the Chiefs. Um, because of you know their limited deep passing attack. But once they don't need that many yards, it's it becomes way harder to stop them, especially like you said, with Mahomes legs. Um, another X factor we want to talk about is kind of the matchup of the star of the show for the Chiefs on defense, which is Chris Jones. Um going against this Niners interior offensive line, which certainly has done its part, certainly has been good enough. But just in terms of how this team is built, like where the assets are allocated, um, it's almost entirely to the playmakers, to the left tackle, Trent Williams, and to the defense. Um, so for the most part, you know, the rest of the four guys on this offensive line who will all be matched up with Chris Jones at some point throughout this game um, with the way they move Chris Jones around, you know, between the edge, the interior, left side, right side, whatever, Um you know, they'll, they'll move Chris Jones around. So he'll, he'll get all these different matchups, get a chance to, you know, get a few looks at these guys. And I just think um, there's a chance that he could really be a game wrecker here. Um, you know, obviously Trent Williams is going to move people. He's going to be great on screens. He's going to be great on, you know, outside handoffs. He's going to be great in pass protection. He's one of the best players in football. Um, you know, he's going to be great. But again, you look at the uh, the rest of this offensive line, you have, you know, an Aaron Banks, who was a second round pick, hasn't been very good. You have John Feliciano, who my Giants fans, friends will tell you, he's <laughs> not a very good player. Um, I think you've got like a Colton McKivitz, who's a fifth round pick out of West Virginia. He's okay. But, you know, again, it's a fifth round pick, like from a few yeah. years ago, he's, you know, he's kind of a replacement level guy. It's just like, you wonder if there's going to be some issues um in terms of getting Brock Purdy time and what we saw with against the Lions was that when he had time he was able to make throws he got a little bit lucky but he still made some great plays um and then also with the feet and it's going to be a lot harder for him to make plays with his feet in particular if if Chris Jones is bearing down his neck I mean Brock Purdy is a you know he's your classic like sneaky athletic white quarterback but at the same time, like he he doesn't run in like the four sixes. Yeah. Like physically, he's not going to be able to outrun some of these freaks um, on the Chiefs defense. You know, Nick Bolton. Um, another thing with the Chiefs defensive line that I will say is Charlie Lomena, who is going to be out. He tore his ACL, so he's probably been like their second or third best piece on that D line. And you know, him and Karloftis have been really good as kind of big bodied edge rushers. So that could be a loss for the Chiefs, but ultimately, I think Chris Jones is as always going to be a huge factor in this game. Um, and I'm just interested to see, you know, if the Niners are just going to say, we're going to double you every player. They're going to say, you know, Chris Jones is going to do what he does, but we're not going to change our entire offense because of that. And I could, I could understand both sides of the argument. It's just going to be interesting to see what they do. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that matchup. Yeah. I was curious. I mean, this isn't indicative of, you know, sacks aren't indicative of everything, but I was just curious how many, playoff sacks he has and he only has two and a half Chris Jones which is kind of crazy to think and, about for how many and I believe they played. were all last year he had half a sack this year but yeah okay. two two of them were last year yeah you were on it um but that you know that doesn't represent everything I think you talk, you know you covered it pretty well um you know it's going to be a matchup where the Chiefs definitely got to take advantage and and Spags loves to bring pressure I mean that's a staple of his defense so he's going to mix look looks up have you know safeties you know you know blitzing he's gonna have linebackers blitzing um you know they're you know that's what spags does at the end of the day um so yeah san francisco's got to be ready to play obviously you've got you know the big boy and trent williams at left tackle 
Um, so that's going to be a spot where, you know, you know, Purdy's blind side should be pretty safe. But like you said, that interior is definitely susceptible. And that's where the Chiefs can kind of cause some chaos and make things happen and get Purdy uncomfortable. Because, you know, when he is uncomfortable um, or, or just feeling the pressure, you know, he's still a young quarterback. As much college experience as he has, as great as he's been in the NFL, you know, in the big moments, you know, not that, you know, he's, you know, had too many terrible mistakes in the NFL, but, you know, he's had those moments where, you know, he gets under pressure and kind of makes a, a bad decision, bad pass. Um, so that's what the Chiefs got to do. They got to force him into that. Um, you know, he's unfortunately for the Chiefs got all the weapons in the world to get open, which aids you a lot. Um, and, you know, I think we saw with the legs last week, that was something we haven't really seen too much from him. So, you know, at least he showed that, you know, if he needs to, he can kind of use the legs in a big way. Um, but yeah, I think the Chiefs are, are, you know, they love to bring pressure. You know, that's not going to stop. And and it'll be interesting to see how that works because, you know, they they love trusting their corners too. You know, we'll talk about them in a little bit. But Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie, you know, two of the better cornerbacks in the entire NFL, you know, they've got immense trust in those guys to, you know, run a, a fucking – oh, I don't even – excuse my language. I'm trying to think <laughs> of the different – is it cover zero when they just – Yeah, when they, when uh, they send everyone, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cover zero. Um, so you know they've got faith to 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 you know pull that out of the playbook. So uh, you know I'm rambling on. I'm trying to get too technical for my uh, for my expertise, but yeah, I think the D line matchup would be interesting, and ultimately, I think the run game is also you know we talked about it with the Chiefs, but the 49ers. I mean, when Christian McCaffrey gets going, it it kind of feels like game over sometimes. And um, you know, I'm actually curious. I feel like. You know, he's been fine in the playoffs. I don't think he's really had a, a huge game. I might be wrong, though, so let me see. Yeah, I mean, I last game was pretty yeah. good. Ni- 90 rushing yards, two touchdowns, like 132 yards for scrimmage. So, you yeah. know, he's going to be a, a key factor. And, look, if Kansas City shuts him down and makes Brock Purdy, you know, be the one to win him, I think Kansas City is going to be ho- hoisting the Lombardi. So, um, you know, as much pressure as they should apply on, on passing situations, you know, stopping the run, and that's where Chris Jones, honestly, is best. So, um, you know, I think that's, if anything, you know, like we mentioned, like not that many sacks, but if this guy can aid them in stopping the run, stopping McCaffrey and stuff as that is, I mean, that is game changing. And that's what Chris Jones does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, didn't touch on the run defense as much, but you're absolutely right there. I think that's another big thing is like, can Chris Jones play 80% of the snaps and dominate in the run game? Um, you know, like he's able to um is is another thing especially against yeah you know Trent Williams Christian McCaffrey Kyle Shanahan George Kittle Kyle Juszczyk I mean these are some great run game weapons even Debo I I expect to get some carries which I said a couple weeks ago and they got like one carry which was (laughs) it's like three years ago they would they would run into him like 12 times well yeah once they started that year oh my god it was like I mean he went it was I mean rightfully so he basically ran for a touchdown like every play every time he had it I mean that was that year, Debo was unstoppable, man. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was special. So I guess that's another small thing that's like, oh, are they going to run it with Debo? Um, in obviously yeah, a huge game, um, which will be interesting to see. Finally, this last you know kind of matchup we want to talk about does include Debo as well. Is we want to talk about how uh, these Chiefs corners who are really good are going to match up, how they're going to play, what kind of style um they're going to be looking for against these Niners playmakers, um. You know, looking at Legereus need, he's kind of your typical, you know, outside lock up your number one receiver type corner. But, you know, you look at the Niners, it's like, what's the perfect matchup for him? Like, you know, I, I theoretically it's Ayuk, but Debo is the guy who 
is probably the bigger like game changer, um, bigger big play threat. So I guess that'll just be interesting to see like if they want to line up Snead against Ayuk as much as they can or whoever it is between Ayuk and Samuel or they don't care at all or whatever. That'll be interesting to see. Um, and then their other really good corner, Trent McDuffie is a guy who spends a lot of time on the inside, kind of blitzes a lot. He'll drop into zone coverage. He'll guard a tight end sometimes. He'll match up against a running back. Kind of does whatever Spags needs him to do in this defense. Also, a really talented player can play on the outside. I would be, you know, interested to see if they're going to put him on the outside when both Debo and Ayuk line up on the outside just for better matchups, regardless of whether it's Snead on Ayuk or whoever on whoever. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of different things that Spags can do. There's a lot of things uh, Shanahan can do. He can, you know, he can motion one guy in from the slot, motion one guy out of the slot, whatever it is. He can do a lot of things to get the matchups he wants. Um, I guess, you know, a small X factor here who always seems to make at least one third down catch is Jawan Jennings. Like, he just <laughs> always seems to make like it's like a yeah. third and seven. And, you know, Debo is double covered and Ayuk can't get open and Kittle is in blocking and, you know, McCaffrey short of the sticks and it's like, oh, Jawan Jennings, 17 yard completion. Like, yep. You know, he's just like kind of the, per the perfect like last target in an offense. He's a good blocker, big body. Um, So I could, you know, obviously the Chiefs after their second corner really starts to go down in terms of skill. So, you know, on those important plays where maybe they're matching up their top two corners on the top two receivers, maybe we see some Jawan Jennings. Um. I'm interested to see if they put McDuffie on Kittle at all. Um, obviously a size mismatch, but um, he might just be their best chance because even like a Nick Bolton is, you know, four or five inches shorter, 20 pounds lighter than a George Kittle. So, you know, you just want the stickier coverage player and you can put Bolton somewhere else. Maybe you want to do that sometimes. Um, you know, it depend oh, that also depends on how much Kittle is in the game plan as a pass catcher, which seems to vary pretty reasonably week to week like sometimes they just are like all right well you're just going to be our second left tackle yeah. week and it's awesome um and then sometimes they're like oh you can you know catch 100 passes every year if we wanted you to um side note i do think george kittle is probably the best tight end in the nfl as good as kelsey is i think i take kittle's all-around game and unselfishness and like lack of needing targets to make an impact on the game i do think i would maybe take kittle at this point in their careers um which is obviously huge props to kittle because kelsey is either the first or second best tight end of all time in my opinion um so i you know i just think kittle's playing at an incredible level even if he doesn't catch 100 yards 10 catches as often as kelsey um yeah. he's also impossible to tackle like a freaking freight train um but yeah i've babbled on for a while here it's just gonna be interesting to see the matchup between the Chiefs' secondary and the niners playmakers obviously two really strong points of these teams um justin reed also a pretty good safety he can he can play some corner so maybe they put him in the slot and mcduffie on the outside i don't know there's a lot of things the chiefs can do i'm just very interested i'm very excited for the super bowl for this you can't tell um I just think this is going to be a great football game. So I'm I'm really excited for all these matchups. And what are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think you covered it well. Um, you know, McDuffie and, and Sneed, both really good. Like you said, McDuffie, I mean, you know, he was first team uh, all, pro, all pro, right? I think. I think he was. Um, I think first so, slot yeah. corner. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they keep him in the slot. I mean, that, you know, you know, I, I guess – Debo kind of plays out of the slot sometimes a good bit. So, you know, 
kind of works with that matchup. Obviously, Ayuk on the outside wouldn't surprise me if Sneed maybe shadows him for most of the game. I think that just makes sense logically. Um, but like you said, like you know, it it, it having the two of them, it, it kind of makes it a little easier to just stick to your game plan and just you know let whoever's on that side guard whoever you know the Niners send out there. Um, you mentioned Justin Reed. I think the safeties are are pretty big in this one. Uh, you know, Justin Reed, not just him, but Mike Edwards, Deion Bush had that big interception in the Ravens game. You know, this Niners team can be very explosive. You mentioned Kittle. You mentioned Debo, obviously. Ayuk, and it's that second level. Um, and, you know, that's where the safeties are coming to play. Also, the linebackers. I mean, not just not letting, you know, guys like George Kittle and, and Debo get wide open over the middle because that's where, you know, San Francisco loves to – to get the ball right over the middle and, and let guys like Debo work because he's one of the best players, if not the best wide receiver after the catch in the entire NFL. So, you know, it's just about stopping that. And, you know, I know no spags loves to blitz and send some guys, but just being careful because, you know, you make one mistake and, and the 49ers will rip your secondary apart just like that. Um, so I think the safeties are huge and just preventing the big play and, you know, make sure they're dropping back and not pressing too much because, you know, once they get, you know, a guy like Debo or a kill over the top, you know, you're in big trouble. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the safeties are almost more important in this one, weirdly enough, than the corners. But I think the corners, I mean, it's a great, great matchup wise, just like, you know, for the fans. I mean, just seeing two of the best go against, you know, two of the best corners go against two of the best wide receivers. You also mix in Kittle, obviously, in there. Um you know, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and, you know, I think both sides will have success. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited like you, Dev. Um, I think there's so much in these games, so much star power, obviously, on, on the Niners. And then you've got, you know, the inevitability of, of Patrick Mahomes on the other side with Travis Kelsey. You've got the Taylor Swift storyline. I mean, it is going to be the most watched Super Bowl of all time. It's in Vegas. I mean, it just feels it just feels right. So I'm happy. You know, it just I think this is a better matchup too. like I would have the Lions would have been great. It would have been a fun story. But this this game just feels right for uh, for Vegas and whatnot. So, yeah, that's kind of what I got on that matchup. I think, you know, just to recap, you know, corners, I don't think they'll vary too much. It wouldn't surprise me if they try to keep McDuffie in the slot. But, um, you know, safeties are going to be very important for just limiting the big plays and, and not letting also just not letting the ball hit off their helmet and go into Brandon Ayuk's hands would probably be a good start as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm ready to get into game predictions if you are. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah I think I think this is going to be this feels like every NFL game, but it feels like the higher level of play we get, we just get the valuation of each possession like mattering more. Um, you know, it just feels like the NFL has shifted to a lot of like safer defenses in general, not to say teams won't be aggressive. But what I mean by that is teams are more willing to say, all right, take a 12 play drive as opposed to a three and out or a big play touchdown. Um, And it just feels like big plays are less likely than they used to be and long drives are more likely than they used to be. So I, I, I say that. To get to my point, which is that I think while most while both offenses might be pretty effective, pretty efficient, I don't think either team puts up a ton of points here. Um, I don't think we see, you know, the Niners get three big play touchdowns and they put up 35 points and, you know, Mahomes keeps just dragging them back and they put up 31 or something like I just don't see it being a hyper shootout, even if the offenses play pretty well. 
And my second point is that the Chiefs defense is really freaking good. Um, so if any team is going to be able to really shut down this Niners offense, um, hold them to like 17 points or something like that, I really could see it being the Chiefs. Um, I think the Chiefs are going to be able to get going early. They probably, you know, it seems like on, in the playoffs, you know, those first 10 to 15 scripted plays, they have just been incredible. Um, yeah. I expect that to continue. Again, the Chiefs offense has struggled in the second half in these playoffs. I kind of expect that to continue. I expect them to, you know, maybe score 10, 14 points in the first half, maybe even 17 or 20. Um, and then the Niners make some adjustments. The script isn't, you know, as as advantageous the second time, um, you know, for the offense. Uh, they're not able to maybe maybe they don't score a touchdown the first drive, whatever it is. I think they maybe slow down a little bit in the second half. And I think the Niners offense gets going a little bit in the second half. However, I do think the Chiefs will probably be up through most of this game. I think that's not the best sign for the Niners, not to say that they can't come back. They've done it in both playoff games, even though that's been like rare in the Shanahan era era. Um, so I, it's not that I don't think they can come back. I just think it's going to be really hard to come back against a team that's in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes in a top, you know, three to five defense. So I, I do lean Chiefs here. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I just... I just don't think the talent gap outside of quarterback is big enough to justify the advantage in quarterback. And, you know, they have even more big game experience. We saw in the championship games, um, especially the Niners Lions game. And obviously the Niners were the team that had the experience in that one. Um, but that was a big advantage for them. Just having been there, not freaking out when they were down um, as opposed to the Lions who I'm sure were really, really freaking out when they, had given up, you know, 17 straight points to the one seed on the road. Um, and they probably, you know, were at some point thinking, wow, we're going to blow this Niners team out and go to the Super Bowl. So that's obviously a big shell shock. So I expect if anything like that happens, I'd give, you know, the advantage to recover to the Chiefs. Score prediction, I'll say like, I'm thinking 23-20. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think the Chiefs maybe get two touchdowns of their first three drives, something like that. And then they're mostly settling for field goals uh, rest of the game. And then, you know, the Niners offense, maybe they score six in the first half and they get two touchdowns in the second half, something like that. I'm thinking about this a little bit too deeply, but, um, you know, I just think something like that where, you know, the Chiefs are up most of the game. The Niners kind of fight their way back in it. Maybe it's 20-20 and Mahomes goes and leads a field goal drive as time expires. So that'll be my official prediction. Um, but I would say Chiefs in a relatively medium scoring, pretty close game would be my prediction. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll find out if this outside the arena curse is real. I'm <laughs> going with the Chiefs as well. Um, it's kind of just a gut feeling. Like, I think, you know, the Niners are, are probably got the more talented team, but man, Patrick Mahomes is just, he's just set. He's just special. I mean, I, I don't want to ramble on about him, but you know, the plays he makes, I just think this is a guy who's been in the big moment. You know, he's done this year, year, year in and year out. It's like Brady, you know, it's, it's just the guy's been there before Brock Purdy is, you know, I, I think he's a great quarterback guy has not played in, in a big game like this. You know, the playoff games he played were basically at home last year in Philly. I know he really didn't get to play that much, um, but, you know, wasn't like – I mean, I don't know. That was such a small sample size. He got pretty hurt pretty early, so I don't want to look yeah. at that. But, you know, I think it will be a majority Niners fan base, but 
just the whole week, I think, of, uh, you know, the Super Bowl and whatnot. You know, someone like Mahomes, I think, is going to be better built for it and, you know, just ready to play than someone like Purdy. Um, but at the same point, you got CMC in there. It's, it's such a tough matchup to predict. I just think Mahomes ultimately will get it done. I think the Chiefs are going to be able to run the football, and I think when they run the football, they're a very tough team to beat. Um, I think Pacheco is going to have a huge game. Uh, and I think Travis Kelsey is, is built for the moment at the end of the day. I think he's going to have a touchdown in there. He's just come alive um, in these playoffs, I and mean, he's been – looks like his, his old self in these playoffs, and that's so big for this team. Rasheed Rice has been a, a great piece. Like, I don't know. I think Patrick Mahomes at the end of the day is too good. I think the Niners' defense has been a disaster, and I think against a team like that, Kansas City will be able to start kind of hot. And, uh, you know, I think in the Super Bowl – They've had a week off. I think they'll be fresh. Same with the Niners. I mean, that's not like a, you know, oh, the Chiefs are more fresh, but just like, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be ready to go. And you give Andy Reid, both of these coaches, you give them an extra week. I mean, we are going to be seeing some probably crazy shit, to be honest, in terms of some of these plays. Um, but yeah, I think Andy Reid, you know, he's just the master at it, man. Shanahan's trying to get on the board. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I think Chiefs win close, like you said. I'm going to go 28 for Kansas City, uh, and I'm going to go 22 for San Fran, something like that, 28-22. I don't know. I think it'll be a really close game. Um, I, I, it's just kind of a gut. I don't know. I feel like my – you know, we kind of win in depth, but I don't know. I, it's just kind of a gut feeling. I think Pacheco ultimately runs the football well, and, and Pat Mahomes gets it done with, you know, a guy like Kelsey. So both going Chiefs. We'll see how that turns out. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll know if it's if it's a curse for sure. If the if the yeah, Niners, this, is the exactly. this is the true test, exactly. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. So if we want to get into some NBA trade deadline moves, yeah. Um, so there weren't a ton of huge moves, but just a couple that I want to touch on. Um, so first of all, the Mavericks acquired two play or two you know main rotational players. Um. They acquired PJ Washington and two second round picks from the Hornets in exchange for Grant Williams, who they signed to a four year deal this offseason, been pretty disappointing. Seth Curry to make the money match and a 2027 first round pick. Um, yeah, I think PJ Washington is kind of the ideal player you'd like next to Luca and Kyrie, a big wing who can put it on the floor, he can shoot, he can defend a couple of positions, kind of a do it all, master of none guy. Not very efficient this year in Charlotte, but who's going to be efficient in Charlotte? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he's shown basically to be a good or at least decent NBA player at pretty much everything. Um, so I think he's going to come in, help them, give them some big wing minutes, maybe some small ball five, um, you know, kind of just play the Grant Williams role, but do it better. Um, I know they were really hopeful for Grant Williams to be a big piece of what they wanted to do because he's, in theory, the type of player you want next to Luka and Kyrie as well, but just didn't work out. And I get I guess they decided that just it wasn't worth, um, you know, trying to relinquish the asset, try to figure it out with Grant Williams, tried to trade him, him and get an upgrade right now, which I certainly understand with a lot of, you know, time pressure under, you know, just having such a great player like Luca who yeah. could at any point, you know, say, wait, I'm way too good for this situation. <laughs> um, and then they also acquired Daniel Gafford. Let me get the trade details up for that one. Um, this was uh for Rashawn Holmes who doesn't play just to make the money work and the 2024 first round pick via the Thunder um which I don't know how they have that pick but they do so I guess 
they the Wizards will be getting a late 20s pick there it makes sense for them they're rebuilding didn't really touch on the Hornets but same for them makes sense they're rebuilding get a pick whatever um but what I will say is Daniel Gafford really is a guy who can put a ton of pressure on the rim I, I was watching their game earlier against the Thunder they're up in the first game with these two players um pretty big having a good showing but Besides that, they were saying that Daniel Gafford, half of his career shots are dunks, which is so ridiculous. That's crazy. Um, but we just haven't, you know, obviously Derek Lively, the rookie out of Duke, has been pretty good as a starting center. But you just get another guy who can come play that Derek Lively role. Who's He's done it so well. They really didn't have a true backup five that could play that role, um, or at least not at that level, because Dwight Powell kind of sucks, to be honest. Um, so, you know. You just get another upgrade there. You get more bodies. You know, you have a 10 to 11 man rotation that looks like guys that I'm like, oh, I could play this guy 20 minutes if he needs to, which is always something you kind of are looking for. You have shooting. You have one of the best players in the world in Luka who could have a great playoff run at any given moment as he has. He's been incredible in the playoffs in his young career. So I'm really high on the Mavericks after this trade deadline. Just feels like they got some more good pieces, some more good fits. Um who cares about the picks? They're going to be picking the 20s with Luca anyway. Um, they have some young players anyway that they're trying to develop. So I'm really fine with giving up a couple picks here. I'm I'm really liking the direction of this Mavs team. And for all the talk about Kyrie, I think it's worth noting that in the playoffs, um, you know, if you just have a guy that can be a really efficient, good scorer, and even if the rest of his game doesn't help you that much, it almost doesn't matter with how hard it gets to score in the playoffs compared to the regular season. Like if, if you can replicate, you know, 90% of your scoring efficiency and volume in the playoffs, it almost doesn't matter how good you are at the rest of your game. You're going to be a really valuable player to your team. Um, and I think Kyrie will be able to do that. So I'm, I'm really liking what the Mavs are doing. Um, next trade I want to touch on my 76ers trading Furkan Korkmaz, who finally gets after six years of requesting a trade. Um, <laughs> Finally gets out of Philly and then is immediately waived. Um, <laughs> sucks for him. I have a Furkan Korkmaz jersey. I hope he comes back or something. We figure out how to get Korkmaz back on the team. Um, just a good guy, but yeah, a bit over his head with what he thinks his value is in the NBA. But anyway, uh, the Sixers traded Marcus Morris and Korkmaz, three second round picks and cash considerations for Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald is already like top 10 all time and three pointers made or something ridiculous. He's been in the league for like nine years, just goes to show obviously how modern basketball has completely changed. Um, but you know, you got a guy in heels who can really put up buckets. He can, he can score. He's improved as a passer. He's improved. Uh, you know, he's just a really good offensive player and that's something the Sixers really need, be it as a starter um, with a lot of the injuries they have now, but I assume when the team is fully healthy, he'd probably be the sixth man, but someone who plays 25 plus minutes um didn't this team didn't really have a a known you know he's just a knockdown shooter type guy besides maxi who's obviously so much more than just that so you got a guy who's just a great shooter you know Embiid always has worked great with shooters be it you know seth curry jj reddick earlier in his career even minutes with Korkmaz. i swear to god he makes Korkmaz look like a competent nba player you get Embiid shooting, you get stars shooting, but especially a guy like Embiid, you get him shooting, and that's a really good recipe for a great offense. Um, you know, you've got four guys who could realistically give you 20 on any given night, which is something that's really important. But obviously, this trade really doesn't matter unless Joel Embiid gets back healthy. Um, so, you know, you don't want to speculate on that because it's really just a guess of whether he'll be able to. 
So ultimately, the way I see this trade is the Sixers didn't give up too much. They didn't give up any first round picks. Buddy Heald is an expiring contract, so they can still have as much cap space as they would have going into the offseason. And if it works out, you re-sign him on probably not a huge deal just to be your, you know, your shooter, play 25 minutes a game, hit four threes, whatever, do his job. And if not, you let him go and you still have the same cap space and you're just minus a couple of second round picks, which really isn't a huge deal. So I really like this trade for the Sixers. For the Pacers, I guess it's kind of an admission that they're probably a year away just to, you know, trade a guy who's on an expiring contract and they didn't want to pay. If you really thought you were a contending team, you'd probably keep that guy because of the value he could give you this season. I don't disagree with that. I just think some people maybe would be a bit surprised to hear that. I still am really high on the Pacers. I just think there's a few too many good teams in the East for them to be a serious, you know, maybe they could win a round. I don't see them really in the second round quite yet. Um, So I get this trade for them, get some picks, get some money, um, you know, whatever. The Spurs also got Marcus Morris. The Pacers got back Doug McDermott. I don't really know what that does for either team. I'm not going to touch on that. Quickly on the Suns, they were able to add Nets wing Royce O'Neal and David Roddy for a 2026 first-round pick swap, Chemezi Metu and Utah Watanabe. They also sent Keita Bates-Diop and Jordan Goodwin to the Nets and three future second-round picks to the Nets as well. So they are, like, completely out of picks. Like, I don't think they can trade any second-round picks, any pick swaps, any anything, but that's okay because you have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker playing really well. Bradley Beal starting to figuring it out, started figuring it out, and I'm really starting to get you know, confident that they have a few other guys that can play big minutes for them. You know, Royce O'Neal's your token three and D wing. He's for your token three and D wing, a really, really good passer. He can, you know, kind of make some plays if, you know, say KD gets doubled and he's the guy that gets left open sort of in that Draymond Green type role. We saw at the Warriors all those years, he can make plays out of that. He can shoot, he can defend multiple positions. I really, really like this addition. Now you look at the Suns, it's like, you're probably still starting you know, Beal, uh, Allen, who's been really good, Booker, Durant, and Nurkic. But then off the bench, you've got Eric Gordon, Royce O'Neal, Drew Eubanks, who's been pretty good. Maybe David Roddy can give them some good minutes. So what looked like a team that was really, really top-heavy, and it still is, is a team that's found, I think, four, three, four other guys who can play 25-plus minutes in the playoffs and not be a big minus on either end of the court, which is just such a big thing when you have three great players. I'm really you know, scare. I don't know what teams are going to do with this offense. Like, especially once they go to like KD at the five, like if they're running a lineup of say Booker, Beal, Gordon or Allen, Royce O'Neal and, and, and Durant, like no one, no one can't shoot. No one can't really defend. You're a little small, but like in short bursts, that just feels like such a great lineup. So I'm really excited to see how the Suns look. I was very low on them earlier in the year, but I've kind of completely come back around. I think they are kind of a sleeping giant in a loaded Western conference. Uh, Moving on, the Thunder at Gordon Hayward from the Hornets. They trade Vasali Micic, who they signed from Europe. Hadn't really worked out for them. Trey Mann, former first-round pick, hadn't really worked out. Davis Bertans, expiring salary and two second-round picks. There might have been some other stuff involved in this deal that came out later, but nothing really of relevance. Gordon Hayward, still going to be out until past the All-Star break. Obviously, that's the main thing with him is the injuries and the age. But when he's healthy, he's a really good you know, do-it-all type wing, gives them some size that they didn't really have at the wing position, gives them some flexibility to maybe, you know, put Josh Giddy off the bench, who's really struggled for them at times, um, especially as a shooter. Um, 
it just gives them more versatility. I, I really like this addition. A lot of people wanted to see them get some more like rebounding, some big depth, but that's just not the type of team they are. They're committed to being a small, we're playing Chet at the five. And if not, we're putting, you know, another small center on the court. Um, and that's just who they are. They're not going to be the best rebounding team. They're not going to be, you know, the best team against a Jokic or an Embiid, but they're going to be really fast. They're going to, you know, do all the things that are advantageous for a small team. It's just kind of their style. And I feel like you want to add guys that fit that style more than change the style because that's really risky, especially when you're so ahead of schedule. Like, I just don't see the point of trading for like a center that doesn't shoot that could completely mess up your spacing if it, you know, doesn't go well. So I get why they didn't do that. Um, moving on to some more trades, uh, probably the biggest one left. We have the Knicks trading back for Alec Burks and for Boyan Bogdanovich, only giving up Evan Fournier's expiring deal, Malachi Flynn's expiring deal, Ryan Archie Diakno, which is sad because of all the Nova players on the team that he's friends with. <laughs> he's made a lot of money in the NBA, so good for him. And then Quentin Grimes, two second round picks and cash considerations. So I think. Bogdanovich, in a nutshell, probably was worth about a first-round pick, which is about what you're seeing from Grimes and the two second-round picks. I would say that's about a first-round pick of value. And then you kind of basically just got Burks for free. And now it's like you have a lot of things you can do. Uh, you know, you have more scoring. You have more shooting. Um, you have more depth. You you know, you don't really have, have to rely on Randall as much anymore because you have a Bogdanovich who's a 20-point-per-game score. You have a, an Anobi who's a 15-point-per-game score. So you don't really need as much scoring from Randall. You know, obviously, if he's playing great, great. But if he's not being himself in the playoffs, which is a big worry for this Knicks team, it's not going to kill them as much, especially with the level Brunson's playing at. Still doesn't kill them defensively. I don't think either of these guys are great or horrible defensively. They're pretty smart. They're going to do what Tiz wants them to do. I don't think they kill them defensively. I still think the Knicks are a good defensive team. So I really like this trade for the Knicks. Um, I think I think they're kind of a sleeping giant in the East. I, I think I'd have them as my second best team in the East right now. Um, probably ahead of the Bucks. I just really haven't liked how they looked. Cleveland? Um, ahead of Cleveland? Maybe not. Cleveland. Cleveland's playing really well, too. Um, I'm excited to see how the East plays out, like what the matchups are, if Embiid's healthy, who ends up at what seed. Um, that's going to be interesting to see. The Nets, the, sorry, the Cavs are playing really, really well. I, I do want to touch on yeah. them quickly. Just, you know, in, integrating Mobley and, and Garland back in the lineup hasn't been an issue. Um, they're great on both ends. Jared Allen's been great. Donovan Mitchell's playing, you know, he just gets like 2% better every year, I feel like. And yeah. over time it adds up and he's just become... I mean, he came in the league as a really, really good player, and he's just gotten a little better every year. And now, you know, he's such a complete player. He's, you know, got a pretty big body in terms of defensively. He's like a 6'10 wingspan guy, even though he's only 6'1", 6'2". So confident that he can, you know, maybe say make some defensive improvements. Struce's shooting has been huge. They've gotten, you know, some uh, – like, you know, some contributions, that's the word, from, you know, a Sam Merrill, a George Niang, Karis LeVert can get you some buckets. So I'm I'm liking what the Cavs are doing. I still think they, you have to ask the question of how many guys are clearly good players on both ends of the floor. Um, And I really think the only guy that's like definitely good on both ends of the floor is Jared Allen. Like Mitchell and Garland have had some troubles on defense. They're also just smaller guards. Like they're always going to have some level of struggles and Mobley's offense hasn't been great until he came back, but it's been really good. So they could really prove me wrong. They could lose in the first round. There's a lot of different scenarios with this Cavs team. I think they have a lot of potential. I think a lot of teams could make it out of the East. Like feels like yeah. from six or seven for sure. Yeah. Um, 
if if the Sixers are healthy, you know, Sixers, Cavs, Knicks, Bucks, Celtics feels like they could all make a run of some sorts. Um, some smaller trades. I I I have literally no opinion on the Schroeder to the Nets trade. I guess Schroeder is better than Dinwiddie, so I get why the Nets did it. But the Raptors just got Dinwiddie, then released him. I don't even. Maybe it's for Schroeder's money next year. I I don't understand. I I, I really don't understand. Kind of a I saw a joke that's like, it's like when the computer in 2K makes a trade with the other, you know, computer team. It's just like random, not a bad trade, but doesn't really help either team. Uh, we saw Pat Bev go to the Bucks. Sad to see him go for a second round pick. They get some point of attack defense, some leadership, some hustle, which they desperately need. I could see him being a big part of their playoff rotation, to be honest. Um, still very worried about the Doc Rivers situation, but I, I do think that's a pretty reasonable addition because he might be their best perimeter defender um besides i guess Giannis, who you don't really want to use in that role for the entire game um springer gene springer the sixers you know young developing prospect for a second round pick to the celtics kind of a weird trade not sure exactly what either team gets or loses from it um robin lopez to the kings to duck the tax kind of sad to see the brothers get split apart um and then the Raptors, this is a, this is a kind of interesting trade. They could trade for Kelly Olenek, a good stretch big, who can do a little bit of everything. And Ochai Baji, a former lottery pick in the Donovan Mitchell trade, just in his second year, a bit older for a second-year player, but I think he still has a ton of potential and a pretty high floor. And all they had to give up was um, Otto Porter, Kyra Lewis, and a first-round pick that I looked into, and it appears it will almost certainly not be any pick outside the, you know, 25 to 30 range so really not much for a couple good intriguing players that I think could wrap, help the Raptors out this year and especially in the future with the case of Ochai um and then you know Monte Morris was traded to the to the Timberwolves I think he could give them some good guard depth Xavier Tillman from the Grizzlies to the Celtics some good big man depth and that's really it um not a huge trade deadline in terms of star trades but a lot of trades that I'm like oh I could see this helping the other team or one of the teams out in the in a playoff series so um those are mostly my thoughts any any big takeaways from the trade deadline Griff yeah I mean I think you know looking at across the whole span like the Knicks did well man like they didn't give a first round pick and they acquired you know Ananobi Bogdanovich and Alec Burks I mean that's a, a really great job by uh it's Leon Rose still in charge Leon. right yeah 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 um, the guy who doesn't speak to the media. Um, yeah, it, I think it's a great move um, that they made. They got a roster. Like, I've been hard on the Knicks, um, partly because I like to kind of poke fun at Knicks fans, but also because I kind of just don't think they're they're good enough. But, you know, I'll be honest. Like, this is a team that they can put up a fight in the playoffs. I don't know if they can go and get on a run and go win the finals. Um, I still think as great as Brunson is, that they just need someone else, like, or just, it's just, he's not good enough. It's kind of the same problem the Cavs have. Like, I think the Cavs and Knicks are both in really good spots. I mean, you see how the Cavs are playing. He touched on it. You know, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, pretty similar at this point in their career where they're at. Like, maybe a favor Mitchell a little bit, but I don't even know. Um, they're both really good players. Um, but, you know, are they good enough to to win a championship? You know, we'll have to see, uh, but I really like the moves they made. I mean, you know, Anobi and Anobi's out, I know, with like an elbow thing right now. But, um, you know, you bring in Bogdanovich, like like you said, 20-point scorer. Alec Burks, a guy who's, you know, been there with Thibs before, I believe. And and so he knows the system. It shouldn't be too hard of a transition back for him. 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of guys playing well on this team. Like Dante DiVincenzo has been absolutely killing it. Um, obviously, you know, Brunson's hurt a little bit. Randall's hurt right now, too, I think, right? Yeah. Um, so they're dealing with some injuries, but still playing really good basketball. And I think once this team gets the full health, once we start seeing a lineup of, you know, whether it be Brunson, if they keep DiVincenzo in there, if they go, you know, Bogdanovich and and Ananobi, Randall, and then who's, is Mitch Robinson still the starting center? No, he's he's hurt. He's hurt. Martin Stein, who's been playing okay. really well. But well, is Mitch out for the year, or could he come back? 50-50. 50-50, Okay, now, yeah. so regardless, I mean, Hardenstein's played pretty well. So, um, yeah, the Knicks got a freaking squad, and they got some depth too. So, very exciting time for for Knicks fans. Um, kind of other than that, I mean, you know, like you said, not too crazy. Um, Sixers were pretty involved. I mean, I think the Buddy Heel deal is, is a good one for them. Mister Keys to the city, Marcus Morris, unfortunately, out the door. Um, but you know. Obviously, the Embiid injury, you know, he underwent surgery, so it, it's kind of unclear what his status will be going forward. Probably comes back, but you never know with some of these things. you got to see how he responds. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their season is going to hinge on him no matter what, so it, it kind of doesn't really matter until he's back. Um, and then, you know, you touched on kind of some of the other ones. Gordon Hayward, a good pickup. You know, the the Mavericks made some good moves. Pat Bev to the Bucks, um, kind of a fun move. You know, Pat Bev at this point kind of going everywhere. Um, shout out Pat Bev, man. They got him and Roan from Barcelona. They got a great po- podcast, Pat Bev Pod. Good listen if you if you're looking for an NBA podcast, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of all I got. I think, uh, you know. Obviously, we're getting really close now to the All Star Week. It's got to be like next week. Next week, yeah. Um, so, a little break we'll have, and obviously, I think this is kind of one of the major midseason storylines. So, we'll see how some of these moves, uh, you know, progress. And and you know, at this point, for some of these teams, it's just health. Like you got to stay healthy and make the push to the playoffs. And you know, we'll see if uh, the West is super close at the top. I mean, there's one seed still to be decided. Seems like the Celtics should get the one seed. Cleveland, I think, is five games out, so they got a pretty good hold on that. But you know, anything can happen. One injury, and just like that, you know, a new team is at the top. So uh, it should be a fun rest of the regular season. I think you know this year in the NBA is fun because it feels like you know there's not that clear one big team that's going to go win it all. I think in both leagues, um, we're really yet to see and yet to know who's going to win. I mean, I think the Celtics probably are in the best position to win the finals right now, but. Uh, you know, I feel like we also say that every year. So <laughs> we'll see how it turns out. I don't know if you got anything else. That's all I got on the NBA. Um, just one quick thing. Like, when was the last time a team won a championship without a guy who was like a top three player that year? Like, like yeah, like, that's my only thing that I think is important for people to remember is it's really hard to win a championship, and it's even harder unless you have one of the absolute best players in the world. And like we talked about with the Knicks, like we talked about with the Celtics, like do they like as good as those guys are? It's like, is, is I think Tatum is, I think Tatum's probably good enough to be at this point. I think he no, probably is. I agree. I just, I just think there's very few teams you don't have to ask that question for. And, yeah. and it's, it's an interesting one to answer. Um, besides that, I'm, I'm ready to, to close out a few hours. I got one real, th- real quick thing. Um, I think, and this is college football, Chip Kelly leaving UCLA to go become Ohio State's offensive coordinator. I think it's super. I think it was a super interesting move. Obviously, it's good for Ohio State, but seeing a head coach of like Power Five program like a UCLA, you know, obviously his name was kind of on the hot seat. You know, he might have just done this to save himself from being fired. 
But seeing, you know, a guy like that first year that you said was going to be in the Big Ten and just leave to be a coordinator, I think it's really interesting and just kind of shows what's going on and how hard it is to be a college football coach. I think you look at all the shit that's going on with NIL, you have to do with recruiting. Like, college football head coach is, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. It's probably a much tougher job than an NFL head coach, you know, obviously in different facets, but the schedule, you know, you're constantly recruiting, constantly traveling. Um, and now with all this NIL, I mean, guys are just up and out of these programs uh, at the drop of a hat. So really interesting move. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not going to get in depth on it or what it means for the Ohio State offense. I just more wanted to bring it up as a, I think it's super interesting about, you know, where we stand at, uh, you know, in college football that, you know, head coach at UCLA, Power 5 program about to join the Big Ten, you know, just up and leaves to be the offensive coordinator. I think it's pretty interesting, but that's all I yeah. got. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it. Yeah. College football and college sports in general are going to change a lot over the next few years. And I'm really yeah. fascinated to see, you know, whether I, I think one thing about college sports is the coaches are kind of the star more than the players a little bit. And yeah. I wonder if that sort of starts to flip um, a little bit. Um, a little, yeah. But the other way where the, you know, the coach is the most valuable thing because the player can leave at any point and the coach, you know, if you have a coach, they're going to stay there unless they will go to a bigger school. So, you know, it could go a variety of different ways. I think they, they'll make some changes sort of back to more what it yeah. was. Um, they got to make some changes. It's a mess right some, now. They got to make some changes <laughs> for sure. Um, it's very stressful to be a college coach right now. Do not envy them. Um. But yeah, they also I, make like six, eight million dollars. That's, that's like a low level. So I don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> I don't feel bad, but I would much rather be a college offensive coordinator like Chip Kelly than a coach. Right. Yeah. Now. I understand. 100%. Um, other than that, great episode. Um, I'm really excited for the Super Bowl, like we talked about. Um, trade deadline, you know, this is sort of when we start to see the NBA teams start to say, all right, this is what our playoff rotation is gonna look like. Sorry, you know, 11th guy, you don't get to see the court anymore. Um you know, play their stars, you know, 38 to 40 minutes as opposed to 35, whatever, you know, just a little bit more, which is really fun as we get closer to the playoffs, the seeding gets intense, we'll have some fun, you know, this game, you know, if they win, they could be the two seed, if they lose, they could be in the play in like, stuff like that. Um, So exciting to see how, you know, the NBA just ramps up more and more as the season goes along. Um, Baseball, like you said, will be starting soon. Um, You know, pitchers and catchers reporting at least within what, like a week or so? yeah three four days yeah um so excited for that uh make sure to subscribe like comment whatever uh you want to do at this point um and we will see you next week on outside the arena